The Oklahoma Sooners offered an intriguing legacy prospect in the 2024 class. We're going to talk about him and a few other recruiting notes on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash college, And when you enter promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. Bird Dogs, great fashion, great comfortable clothes. Go check it out, birddogs.com slash college. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref. And Norman, Josh, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening in which we're recording? I'm doing fine on this fine Tuesday. And how are you, my friend? Yeah, doing doing really well. Wife passed a big exam to recertify as a nurse practitioner. She hadn't been practicing. She's been doing the stay-at-home mom thing for the last seven years. So she's she's now kind of getting back into the the workflow, but excited for her. Just shout out, Audrey. You did great. So proud of you. Um, just crushed it. Anyway, not anyway, but getting to Oklahoma Sooners and football. Now she, okay, now here's a note. She is the Oklahoma Sooner alum of the two of us. I did not go to the University of Oklahoma. She did. She's got a master's degree that, from there as a nurse practitioner. Uh, I'm, so I'm just riding her Oklahoma Sooners coattails here on Locked On Sooners. But let's talk some recruiting stuff as uh, Audra was able to recruit me and get my commitment to the Oklahoma Sooners back in uh, the 2011 recruiting class or 10 recruiting class when we got married. The Oklahoma Sooners offered a legacy. One Cooper Alexander, the son of former Oklahoma Sooners Stephen Alexander, who played back in the 90s, uh, a three-star prospect, um, but a very intriguing prospect when you watch some of the highlights over there on Huddle. Josh, I don't know if you've got a chance to watch him just yet, but what I thought was really intriguing about him is he looks like he has really, really good hands. Yeah, and that's the the buzz that you hear out of Washington for uh for cooper alexander and i know just you know for those that have or have not watched oklahoma fans the the feeling was pretty palpable that ou fans wanted to see this off for the most part felt like ou fans wanted to see this offer get doled out simply because of the legacy factor and look uh here's somebody that clearly is a collegiate talent, 6'4", 220. He's got offers from a nice little collection of schools. Uh, let's see, uh, Iowa State, Colorado, Duke, Pitt, Stanford, Tulsa, UNLV, Vandy, Washington State. So that's a nice collection of some Power 5 schools and uh, some other programs, group of five schools mixed in there. He's he's good enough for the Oklahoma offer. This is not just offer a kid because dad played at Oklahoma. It's a legacy kid who has a nice little sheet of offers. So Oklahoma fans were kind of hoping and waiting and uh, wondering if and when this offer would get doled out. And sure enough, here we go. So it's it's a cool story, I think, from that standpoint. 
And it didn't take long for the projections to start coming in favoring Oklahoma. Uh, Parker Thune, our man over at OU Insiders with Rivals, and then Josh McQuistion of Sooner Scoop at On3, both issuing predictions, I think, within an hour of that offer being made public. And, and so I think that's a, a really intriguing aspect of all of this. I talked a little bit about his hands. You watch some of the huddle tape as a blocker. He's a very technical blocker that looks to finish. And you have some need at tight end right now because you don't really know what you have in the future. You've got Austin Stogner, Blake Smith right now. You, you like Caden Helms and Jason Llewellyn. You just haven't seen them yet at the college level. Llewellyn played a little bit last year in some blocking tight end situations, but you haven't really seen those two guys kind of take that jump yet to being starting tight ends at the collegiate level. Now you have the, you know, the Devon Mitchell, you know, uh, situation that Oklahoma is very much in play for uh, right now in the 2025 class could reclassify to 24 as is kind of the rumor out there that, that, that it's going to happen. But at the moment, your you know, your 2023 situation was Cade McIntyre. So you're kind of banking a lot right now on Cade McIntyre being able to develop, take that athleticism and, and grow it so that you do have some tight end depth because beyond Austin Stogner, you don't really have a whole lot of, of depth you feel great about. You like the potential, but you don't know what you don't have just yet or what you even have just yet. Well, the other thing that this does, John, is potentially it sets Oklahoma up to get on the board in state. Uh, you know, Xavier Robinson is somebody uh, that we feel, you know, feel good about for Oklahoma. It seems like that's the direction that that recruitment is ultimately going to go at the running back position. But, uh, you know, Zadavian Sims was somebody that a lot of folks thought was coming to Oklahoma, ends up choosing Oregon. And so Cooper Alexander would be, if he commits quickly here, like uh, Parker Thune and Josh McQuish not saying that they've set any sort of a timetable on it, but they've issued predictions that he'll ultimately pick OU. He, he could be what, the, uh, the first in-state kid to commit to Oklahoma in this class? And you look at some of the other top names, again, on the board, in-state per 24-7 sports, you just missed out on the number two talent in Zadavian Sims. Oklahoma has not offered Wit Edwards out of uh, Wagner and uh, Danny Okoye. We know it's just recently started trending to where Oklahoma has a chance in that recruitment. And I'm not saying that Oklahoma, John, uh, you know, I think sometimes maybe we, it's important, but sometimes probably we get a little bit carried away with, they have to get this in-state kid. They have to get that in-state kid. If you're getting great talent across the board nationally, ultimately that's that's the most important thing for Oklahoma, though I do think, yes, to some degree, you know, not for OU because, it again, you know, as we discussed in last uh, episode, it's not the same home base for Oklahoma that it is for different schools, and I don't need to run down that list again. Oklahoma doesn't, quote-unquote, need to make its bread and butter in its recruiting classes year after year at home. But you'd like to have, yes, a homegrown player or two in Oklahoma right now doesn't have that in this class. You want to be able to say that you're able to get one of the top players in the recruiting class. Now, they, you know, they got Gentry Williams a couple years back in, in the 22 cycle, Jacoby Johnson in, in the 23 cycle. They're looking good for, you know, and they got Eric McCarty, too, um, who is also a very highly you know, productive player out there at uh, McAllister. So they're, they are getting Oklahoma prospects. 
It's just they haven't gotten the by Job yet. They didn't get the Zadavian Sims. If they miss out on the Danny Okoye thing, I mean, that, again, you're, you're right in what you're saying is talent is talent. It shouldn't matter as much where it comes from. At the same time, it's hard to watch talent leave the state and go be productive elsewhere. Speaking of Oklahoma leaving the state, going to find talent elsewhere, they offered a very intriguing prospect out of the Arlington Mansfield area in one uh, Dylan battle. This guy, somebody asked on the, on the uh, live show yesterday, when's Oklahoma going to look for that 295 plus defensive tackle? Well, here you have it. They offered this kid a 2025 defensive tackle prospect 320 as a junior or he's going to be a rising junior uh, in the 2025 or 2023 fall football season. That's impressive. The dude's already got size. He's already got a, a really impressive uh, list of um, offers on his offer sheet as well. I mean, it's a who's who it's Oklahoma, Auburn, Miami, LSU, Texas, Texas, A&M, USC, TCU, Penn state, Oregon, and Arkansas. Again, this is a 2025 defensive tackle. He is ranked as an on a, a four-star player in the on three industry rankings, a three-star according to rivals. He's been kind of under-evaluated to this point, but six foot two, sorry, six foot two, 315 pounds. I got his size just a little bit off. But you look for bulk, you look for size, you look for strength. If you can get a Dylan battle, a guy that's going to rise because he's got the skill set and the talent to be potentially a four-star player in the 2025 class, you land that, that really adds a lot of girth and bulk to your interior defensive line. Well, and in some ways it's, it's difficult to totally talk intelligently about the 2025 class, because again, it's pretty early in the evaluation season across the board. There's some that, uh, analysts would tell you experts would tell you are can't miss type prospects, but you know, some of the numbers that uh, you just ran down with the measurables. Yeah. Six, two, three, 15, three twenties, a nice little start, right? Uh, I mean, that sounds like somebody that at, at the, the bare minimum can develop into a pretty nice uh, little talent. So that's uh, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I know that we're thinking about names like Williams Winery and David Stone and Joseph Jonah Ajonye and Nigel Smith and uh, Okoye, who we talked about just a second ago, and Jaden Jackson in this 2024 class. That's that's front of mind, and that's present, and that's right here right now. But it, it's not the worst thing for Oklahoma to get a little bit of a jump start in that 2025 class as well. If they see somebody and have identified someone here in Mr. Battle that can come right in and – and help them and be an early, early figure in the 25 class. Because, you know, you think about 24, John, and we talked about this too with 2023, that you don't totally panic about these recruiting classes until we get to June, July, until we get through them, just because the the model for Oklahoma has been that's when the recruiting really, really heats up in the way of commitments. Having said that, man, if all of a sudden you get battle on board early in 25, and you pair that with Sperry and what you've got going on there right now, that would be a little bit different direction uh, in the recruiting sphere than Oklahoma's gone recently, a different trajectory. And it would be a welcome trajectory if those wind up being commitments that stay and turn into signees. There's nothing wrong. We're not saying just because the path has been Oklahoma gets into June, July, and then these, these commitments start stockpiling. Nothing wrong with uh, getting your work done early. 
Oh, for sure. You got to get, get those assignments in early. That way you can have fun later, uh, later after school. But uh, we've got one more recruiting nugget we're going to touch on after I talk to you all about bird dogs here after the break. Birddogs.com slash locked on college. You can get fantastic wear, shorts, pants, whatever you need. It's great active wear. If you need to go golfing, man, you know that Oklahoma humidity is so thick right now. You want some good shorts that are going to help keep you cool when you're out there on the golf course. You're out there running your errands, whatever it is, go to bird dogs, man, go to birddogs.com. I've got a pair of these shorts, wore them out to you know the kids soccer game just a couple Mondays ago and had no issues. My upper body was a little bit hot because I was wearing a long sleeve t-shirt because it's got the logo on it, but my lower body was perfectly cool because of the bird dogs. Everything was so comfortable. Got the inside liner that makes everything well supported at the same time. You get old like me. And you got to have good support and bird dogs. Those shorts have great support in them as well. So go to birddogs.com. Use our promo code locked on college and get a fantastic tumbler with every purchase as well. I, I made myself a, a glass of ice water in my bird dogs tumbler, Josh, and forgot about it, left it on the counter overnight with the little spout open and it was still ice cold the next morning. So that's a very good tumbler that you can get from bird dogs. It's just sleek. It's cool. Next time I'll bring in and show you all on the show. It, it just looks good. Uh, so go to birddogs.com slash locked on college. Use our promo code to get that free tumbler and get some fantastic wear. So last recruiting nugget here, Josh, that we're going to touch on is Isaiah Garcia, an offensive tackle out of Utah, dropped a top 10, included the Oklahoma Sooners in it. And I mean, anytime an offensive lineman drops a list and it doesn't include Oklahoma, I'm usually surprised. Um, but I'm, I'm a little bit surprised when I kind of do the background on this Garcia kid is that, I mean, Oklahoma's in the top 10, but they only offered him back in February. So they're a little bit late to the game relative to some of the other um, programs that are on his list. At the same time, you look at a lot of his list and it's, man, it's Pac-12, it's West Coast schools. A kid from Utah, uh, he's the number one player in Utah, according to everybody in the recruiting world. Uh, and a top 20 player at the position. So a very intriguing prospect. Oklahoma's included in the top 10. They, Unless they're able to make a push this summer and get an official visit or even just get him there for the champion barbecue or something, I, I, I doubt this is going to go Oklahoma's way, but that's not to say that they don't have other irons in the fire with guys like Casey Poe and Be- uh, uh, Bennett Warren. And they got these dudes that are, are really trending in a favorable, favorable light towards Oklahoma. Um, this, I, the Garcia one just kind of came out of nowhere. Hey, look, Oklahoma's in the top 10. Sure. Yeah. I mean, something we haven't uh, heard a lot about and I, I guess what there's a crystal ball prediction in for, for Utah so far, which makes sense because obviously he's six foot five offensive tackle out of Draper, Utah. So, and, and the Utes look, I mean, Pac-12 champions. I mean, that's a program that is doing some nice things. So you'd think that if they were among a group in the top 10 that includes Oklahoma, Nebraska, UCLA, Miami, Alabama, USC, Oregon, Washington, and Stanford, some heavy hitters in there. Obviously a lot of West Coast flavor, which is not surprising for a kid from Utah. But with those types of names, if there was a time for Utah to reel in a blue chip type prospect like this, well, it would be right now with what, uh, you know, not that Utah hasn't had success in the past, but Utah coming off a, you know, Pac-12 championship, it's, uh, you know, pretty tasty option, I would think, for an in-state kid. But, hey, for Oklahoma's perspective here, John, 
Sure, it feels like maybe it's a little bit out of left field, but it also, if I can paint the picture for Oklahoma, makes sense why maybe they would be a little bit you know, late to the party here, which is simply uh, Oklahoma's not right next door to Utah, right? So all of a sudden you find out about somebody late, and uh, it makes sense that all of these West Coast schools would be right there in the mix because guess what? They're right there, and they, they know the coaches and probably are very familiar with uh, Isaiah Garcia. But now all of a sudden, like you said, the storyline here will be, can Oklahoma get Garcia out to OU this summer? And if the answer is yes, then even, even though it feels like just looking at the offers uh, or this, the, not the offers, the top 10 list, John, that this is a West Coast recruitment, if Oklahoma gets him on campus, I think they're going to have a chance to be in the final, final five and final moments here. Well, and Brent Venables and the staff have been trying to kind of get a little bit of a foothold in Utah over the last several years. I mean, or in just the last recruiting cycle to see Leah that was the one that, I mean, Brent Venables was recruiting single-handedly. It didn't go their way given that, you know, akana has got a sister playing, I think it was volleyball at Texas at the same time. So like it, the, the family legacy kind of mattered in that recruitment, but there was a, there was a strong indication that he might end up going to Oklahoma regardless, but the Sooners have really been trying to get some some positive momentum going in that state. You know, it, it's a decent football state. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sit there and put it up there with Texas or Florida or California, but there's a lot of really good prospects that come out of that state, Akana being one of them. And so if he can, if they can get him to Norman or even just keep the battle open, keep the recruitment open, I think it, it bodes well for him to potentially maybe steal one here. Um, you know, Bill Beatenbow, he's a great offensive line coach. Everybody knows that. He, we've seen the development. We've seen what they've put together. We've seen where we go, you know, in, through spring, into the summer, even into the fall, and we're like, man, what are they going to do at offensive line? And then all of a sudden we're like, okay, that offensive line turned out pretty good, you know, as they were still trying to figure it out three, four games into the season. And then it turned out it was a pretty good offensive line. That's just the way things work at Oklahoma. They, they end up putting together good offensive lines and – they're going to do it again. Guys like Caden Green, a guy like, you know, if they're able to land a Casey Pogue, Isaiah Autry, that was a big time commitment. I, I think a lot of people really, really like his game. Again, a, a, another great offer sheet, even though he's just listed as a three-star player. That's going to be one of those guys that probably outperforms his star status. And, you know, if if Oklahoma can just find a way to kind of stay in that recruitment for a, again, a top 20 tackle, in the 2023 or 2024 record recruiting class, then that that's going to potentially bode well for them. Josh, any, any recruiting notes out there that you kind of thought were interesting that, that we might need to touch on before we kind of turn the page on this. Oh, I don't know that there's uh, anything else that's that we haven't touched on, but I would just say circling back to Dylan battle, you know, I made the comment, Hey, it's early. It's early in this cycle. And in some ways, maybe it's too early to talk intelligently, but just would say again to that conversation on Dylan Battle that, look, I, I see what uh, what you pointed out right off the top, John. I mean, this is somebody that on three already, uh, you know, in the on three consensus, he's, he's a four-star prospect, right? And the, the offer sheet alone for Battle tells us, okay, this is, a, this is a player that Oklahoma, of course, values, but look at Auburn and Miami and LSU and Texas and A&M. And uh, let's see, USC, TCU, Penn State, Oregon, Arkansas. So 
you know, I'm sitting here saying, well, you know, it's early. This uh, let's see how this thing goes. This is probably someone in battle that six two three twenty three fifteen is going to clearly wind up a blue chip talent, and uh, all of these different programs feel that way. And so for Oklahoma, that's uh, you know, as we as we come down from the disappointment that was Zadavian Sims's decision, the uh, the decisions of others out there, whether in twenty four or twenty five. There's other options at play for Oklahoma and battle will be one of the next uh, couple of names now to know. Yeah. Follow the offer sheets, right? You know, there, there's a saying in the wire. If you haven't watched it, uh, it's follow the money, you know, and, and you follow the kind of the corruption in the show, but in recruiting, you follow the offer sheets and that kind of gives you a good indication of what a lot, what these programs think about a kid, you know, they're, they're getting to see not just huddle highlights a lot of times. I mean, they get those, but they're getting the chance to probably see more all 22 that the coaches are sending into these schools as well. And that, I think that gives a better, sometimes a better indication and, and might be able to see a whole game tape as opposed to just one highlight here and there from a game. If you have a list that is basically all power five schools and you're a 2025 prospect, you're probably pretty good. And regardless of what the star rating says, and, and yes, the stars matter. We're going to, I'm not going to say that they don't matter. They matter. But at the same time, that offer sheet that matters too. And if you've got an offer sheet, that's got 20 power five offers and which his will, I don't know what the count is right now, but at some point in his recruitment, it'll probably look closer to 30 power five offers. If you've got that list, then there's a pretty good ind- indication that you're probably a really good football player. That's going to be a really good player at the collegiate level. Turning the page on that, Josh, Athlon Sports, buddy Steve Lassen over there, uh, came out with his, well, basically a all-conference preseason list for every conference, but for the Big 12 uh, recently, and there were 11 Oklahoma Sooners named to the preseason all-Big 12 list. Um, Interestingly enough, the only first-teamers, Josh, were defensive players, one Ethan Downs at edge and one Danny Stutzman at linebacker. I thought that that was just really intriguing because if you're looking at this team and you're thinking, okay, who are the most talented players on this team or who are the first teamers? If you're looking at an all big 12 preseason team, I don't know if I would have gone to the defensive side of the ball first. I might've said Danny Stutzman, but that might not have been my first thought. So would you have said, Dylan Gabriel, Jalil Farouk, would those would those have been the first two names that come to mind? What about Javante Barnes? Maybe Barnes, but I don't think I would have put Farouk up there just yet. Even though I love Farouk, and you know, if you're an everydayer here on Locked On Sooners, you know I love me some Jalil Farouk breakout season coming. Buy all the stock. Dylan Gabriel probably would have been the thought just because of the returning production, the experience, what he's done. You know, if you're, if you're looking at the potential, I think the potential is higher for him and Oklahoma than it is maybe for Jalen Daniels in Kansas. At the same time, it, I'm not like bothered by the idea that Jalen Daniels is considered the best quarterback in the big 12, considering what he has to do in order for Kansas to be competitive. It totally makes sense. It's, it's, I, hate to even put these two guys in the same sentence because I know I'm going to get ripped for it in the YouTube comments and I apologize ahead of time, but it's like Patrick Mahomes at Texas tech, right? Patrick Mahomes had to be otherworldly for that team to be competitive. 
And Jalen Daniels, to an extent, has had to be that be similar. I mean, he's not doing Patrick Mahomes. He's not putting up the same numbers. He's not, you know, going nuts in the same way. But remember the first six games of last year, he played himself into a dark horse Heisman contender and then he got hurt. So a full season of Jalen Daniels, who knows what that could look like. But uh, so I don't I don't blame them for putting him above Dylan Gabriel. My thought probably would have gone to Gabriel first or that maybe there's just not a first teamer. Um, if you look, just look at the preseason projections, maybe Oklahoma doesn't have a first team all big 12 player right now, but by the end of the year, that that would change. Just going off memory and this can be a dangerous game, but I would argue that Jalen Daniels was more consistently good last season in that early portion of the year. than I remember Patrick Mahomes being on a game to game basis Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech was amazing in that game versus Oklahoma, but there was that Iowa State game that was just horrible, right? Remember when they got uh, absolutely housed by Iowa State and a couple of other performances that just weren't all that great. But I, I, I get the comparison, and I hear what you're saying. Jalen Daniels at the top, I mean, that that's not shocking. I, I'm happy to see that it's not Quinn Ewers because I don't know how you could – I don't know how you could rank Ewers ahead of – Dylan Gabriel and something like this. Will Howard ha- has done some nice things, but I don't think I would have Will Howard above Dylan Gabriel just from a sheer what I expect production standpoint. Uh, maybe in their abilities to lead. And uh, if you're thinking, like, if you told me today that you feel like Will Howard with Kansas State has a better chance to win the Big 12 than Dylan Gabriel with Oklahoma, okay, I could get more on board with that, I think, even then Will Howard's going to be the first-team Big 12 quarterback, if that makes sense, just from a statistical standpoint. No, it does make sense. I'm still kind of a believer now. He kind of made me a believer, Will Howard did, and I think he's going to be asked to do a lot more than what he did because Deuce Vaughn's gone, and you've got to figure out a way to recreate offense without Vaughn. Uh, Other areas on that list that were intriguing to you or that surprised you, I think – what this list made me do is remember that, Oh man, this offensive line is trying to replace three fifths of its you know, starters from last year, you know, and we don't know what Walter Rouse's situation is going to be like, cause he hadn't really practiced or played yet. And you're still figuring out one of your guard spots. I mean, I feel great about Tyler Guyton. I think he's going to be great over there at right tackle. Uh, but then you have McCain Mattire and Andrew Rame, and then you've got kind of some question marks, not in the fact, not in, in a way that, you're questioning what Walter Rouse can do because you know what he can do. It's just, what's he going to be like because he's not been healthy yet, not been able to go through a full program yet. So it's a matter of getting him integrated, getting him up to speed so that week one, he's ready to go. Otherwise you kind of have some questions there on on offensive line. Um, That was kind of the one thing that came to mind. And then the other one was Desan McCullough as a fourth teamer. Uh, We'll see. We'll see where we go from there. But I think of all the players ranked here, that's like the quote unquote, say less, you know, a little bit of motivation there, a little bit of a, you know, bulletin board material. I think he's going to outperform that. And I think by the end of the year, we're looking at a a second team or at worst on this team. If McCade Mattire is third team and Andrew Rame is a second teamer, I think that could bode really, really well for Oklahoma because I think there's a chance, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but I think there's a chance that Rouse 
and Guyton could both be second team flirting with first team type uh, offensive line selections before this thing's all said and done. And if that's the case and all of that comes together, then Oklahoma's got itself a pretty nice little offensive line. So I would say each of those two, I get why they weren't included, but those would both be notable omissions in my mind. Uh, again, I understand they haven't really played significant snaps at Oklahoma, but Rouse were expecting big things from Guyton. Uh, seems to be as athletic as anybody offensive line-wise for Oklahoma. So I would say both of those two. And then I'm with you, Desan McCola, fourth team here after being a freshman All-American, feels, uh, feels out of place, feels like he should be higher up this list. And I think Desan will prove that to be true before it's all said and done. But ultimately, 11 guys on the uh, Athlon sports team is not altogether bad. I, I don't know, don't know how it compares to – last year but what was it last year the big story was there was nobody on the first team for Oklahoma is that right right when the big 12 coaches voted or big 12 media I can't remember who it was that voted but uh, yeah no first teamers for Oklahoma and I mean that kind of proved proved out I mean you probably could have made a case for Anton Harrison or Marvin Mims last year but beyond that you probably would have been it have been a stretch uh, to determine who was going to be a first team all-conference player preseason wise the other the one more like interesting note on this was the two running backs. You know, Javante Barnes was a second teamer, according to Athon and Gavin Sawcheck a third teamer. And I kind of when I wrote about it today for Sooners Wire, I or yesterday, I guess I, uh, I kind of threw out the bold take that those two could combine for 2000 total yards this year. Uh, whether it's, you know, a bunch of rushing and receiving yards, because I just think they're going to get Gavin Sawchuk heavily involved in the passing game and he's going to break a ton of long you know, long plays in both running and receiving that are going to make him really, really valuable to this team. Even if it's Javante Barnes getting the 20 carries a game and rushing for 1200 yards, I do think that, you know, 800 total yards out of Gavin Sachuk is not unreasonable just based on the juice that he has. And he's shown already. I can't wait to watch this combination. Just get to go work, man. It's yep. one of the pieces of this football team there's a lot to be excited about. I would say probably I'm most intrigued. N not, <laughs> I'm excited, but I, you know, I'm also a little, little skeptical and nervous about what we're going to see defensively, but I'm probably most intrigued to see that for Oklahoma. How big of a step forward can they make defensively across the board? And I do think there's plenty of reasons to be excited there, but just singularly one position group, if it's not linebacker with, Stutzman and with McCola and uh, with Canick and, and maybe others, then it's probably running back with Barnes and Sachuk that I, I'm, I just can't wait to watch those two guys play this season. Yeah. They're going to be a lot of fun. If you know, the cheese at bowl was any indication, which going up against a Florida state team that had everybody playing, I'm very, very excited about what these two are going to be able to do. The, it's, it's going to be electric. It really is. And I think come, you know, middle of the season, we're going to be talking about, is this a tandem on the same level of a Samaj P Ryan and Joe Mixon, you know, that were absolutely dominant as a running duo. I think this, this duo has a chance to be as productive. And the cool thing about it is this is just their second year. And I mean, Gavin Sawchuk, he only, he redshirted last year. So you have a chance to see these guys for the next several years. And that is also very, very exciting. And 
That's going to do it for today's episode of Lockdown Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Being a part of the show wherever you get your podcasts, we're free and available on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button and that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. Follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Sooners. Follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on Ref, and I'm at John Nine Williams. You can also check us out on Facebook, Lockdown Sooners Podcast. But until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll talk to you then. Boomer Sooner.